a sermon, How Dangerous a Thing It Is to Fall from God. Of our going from God, the wise man says that pride was the first beginning. For by it man's heart was turned from God his maker. For pride, he says, is the fountain of all sin. He that has it shall be full of cursings, and at the end it shall overthrow him. And as by pride and sin we go from God, so shall God in all goodness with him go from us. And the prophet Hosea does plainly affirm that they which go away still from God by vicious living, and yet would go about to pacify him otherwise by sacrifice, and entertain him thereby, they labor in vain. For notwithstanding all their sacrifice, yet he goes still away from them. For so much, says the prophet, as they do not apply their minds to return to God, although they go about with whole flocks and herds to seek the Lord, yet they shall not find him, and he has gone away from them. But as touching our turning to God or from God, you shall understand that it may be done diverse ways, sometimes directly by idolatry, as Israel and Judah then did. Sometimes men go from God by lack of faith and mistrusting of God. Whereof Isaiah says in this wise, Woe to them that go down into Egypt to seek for help, trusting in horses and having confidence in the number of chariots and uh, <clears throat> puissance or power of horsemen. They have no confidence in the holy God of Israel, nor seek for the Lord. But what follows? The Lord shall let his hand fall upon them, and down shall come both the helper and he that is holpen. They shall be destroyed altogether. Sometime men go from God by the neglecting of his commandments concerning their neighbors, which uh, command them to express heartily love towards every man. As uh, Zachary said unto the people in God's behalf, uh, give true judgment, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Imagine no deceit toward widows or children, fatherless and motherless toward strangers or the poor. Let no man uh, forge evil in his heart against his brother. But these things they pass not off. They turned their backs and went their way. They stopped their ears and they, that they might not hear. They hardened their hearts as an adamant stone that they might not listen to the law and the words that the Lord had sent through his Holy Spirit by his ancient prophets. Wherefore the Lord showed his great indignation upon them. It came to pass, says the prophet, even as I told them, as they would not hear, so when they cried, they were not heard, but were scattered into all kingdoms which they never knew, and their land was made desolate. And to be sure, all they that may not abide the word of God, but following the persuasions and the stubbornness of their own hearts, go backward and not forward, as it is said in Jeremiah, they go and turn away from God. Inasmuch that origin says, He that with mind, with study, with deeds, with thought and care, applies and gives himself to God's word, and thinks upon his laws day and night, gives himself wholly to God, and in his precepts and commandments is exercised. This is he that is turned to God. And on the other part, he says, Whosoever is occupied with fables and tales, when the word of God is rehearsed, he is turned from God. Whoever in time of readings, reading God's word is careful in his mind of worldly business, of money, of lucre, he is turned from God. Whoever is entangled with the cares of possessions, 
filled with covetousness of riches. Whoever studies for the glory and honor of this world, he is turned from God. So that after his mind, whoever has not a special mind to that thing that is commanded or taught of God, he that does not listen to it, embrace and print it in his heart to the intent that he may duly fashion his life thereafter, he is plainly turned from God, although he do other things of his own devotion and mind, which to him seem better and more to God's honor. Which thing to be true, we be taught and admonished in the Holy Scripture by the example of King Saul, who being commanded of God by Samuel that he should kill all the Amalekites and destroy them clearly with their goods and cattle, Yet he, being moved partly with pity and partly, as he thought, with devotion to God, saved Agag the king and all the chief of their cattle therewith to make sacrifice unto God. Wherewithal God, being displeased highly, said unto the prophet Samuel, I repent that I ever made Saul king, for he has forsaken me and not followed my words. And so he commanded Samuel to show him and when Samuel asked, wherefore, contrary to God's word, he had saved the cattle, he excused the matter partly by fear, saying, he durst do none other, for that the people would have it so, partly for that they were goodly beasts, he thought God would be content, seeing it was done of a good intent and devotion to honor God with the sacrifice of them. But Samuel, reproving all such devotions, seem they never so much to God's honor, if they stand not with his word, whereby we may be assured of his pleasure, said in this wise, Would God have sacrifices and offerings? Or rather that his word should be obeyed. To obey him is better than offerings, and to listen to him is better than to offer the fat of rams. Yes, to repugne against his voice is as evil as the sin of soothsaying. And not to agree to it is like abominable idolatry, and not for as much as thou hast cast away the word of God, he that cast away thee, he has cast away you, that you should not be king. The turning of God from man. By all these examples of Holy Scripture, we may know that as we forsake God, so shall he ever forsake us. And what miserable state does consequently and necessarily follow thereupon? A man may easily consider by the terrible threatenings of God. And although he consider not all the said misery to the uttermost, being so great that it passes any man's capacity in this life sufficiently to consider the same, yet he shall soon perceive so much thereof that if his heart be not more than stony or harder than adamant, he shall fear, tremble, and quake to call the same to his remembrance. First, the displeasure of God towards us is commonly expressed in the scripture by these two things by showing his fearful countenance upon us and by turning his face or hiding it from us by showing his dreadful countenance is signified his great wrath, but by turning his face or hiding thereof is many times more signified. That is to say that he clearly forsakes us and gives us over the which significations be taken of the properties of men's manners. For men towards them whom they favor commonly bear good and cheerful and loving countenance, so that by the face of the countenance of a man it does commonly appear what will or mind he bears towards others. 
So when God does show his dreadful countenance towards us, that is to say, does send dreadful plagues of sword, famine, or pestilence upon us, it appears that he is greatly wroth with us. But when he withdraws from us his word, the right doctrine of Christ, his gracious assistance and aid, which is ever joined to his word, and leaves us to our own wit or own will and strength, he declares then that he begins to forsake us. For whereas God has showed to all them that truly believe his gospel, his face of mercy in Jesus Christ, which does so lighten our hearts that they, if they behold it as they ought to do, be transformed to his image, be made partakers of the heavenly light and of his Holy Spirit and be fashioned to him in all goodness requisite to the children of God. So if they after do neglect the same, if they be unthankful unto him, if they order not their lives according to his example and doctrine and to the setting forth of his glory, he will take away from them his kingdom, his holy word, whereby he should reign in them, because they bring not forth the fruit thereof that he looked for. Nevertheless, his is so merciful and of so long sufferance that he does not show upon us that great wrath suddenly. But when we begin to shrink from his word, not believing it or not expressing it in our livings, first he does send his messengers the true preachers of his word to admonish and warn us of our duty that as he, for his part, for the great love he bare unto us, delivered his own son to suffer death that we by his death might be delivered from death and be restored to the life everlasting evermore to dwell with him and to be partakers and inheritors with him of his everlasting glory and kingdom of heaven. So again, that we for our parts should walk in a godly life as becomes his children to do. And if this will not serve, but still we remain disobedient to his word and will, not knowing him, nor loving him, nor fearing him, nor putting our whole trust and confidence in him. And on the other side, to our neighbors, behaving ourselves uncharitably by disdain, ennui, malice, or by committing murder, robbery, adultery, gluttony, deceit, lying, swearing, or other like detestable works and ungodly behavior, then he threatens us by the terrible combinations, swearing in great anger, that whosoever does these works shall never enter into his rest, which is the kingdom of heaven. The second part of the sermon of falling from God. In the former part of this sermon, you have learned how many manner of ways men fall from God, some by idolatry, some for lack of faith, some by neglecting of their neighbors, some by not hearing of God's word, some by the pleasure they take in the vanities of worldly things. You've also learned in what misery that man is, which has gone from God, and how that God yet of his infinite goodness to call again man from that his misery uh, uses first gentle admonitions by his preachers after he lays on terrible threatenings. Now, if this gentle monition and threatening together does not serve, then God will show his terrible countenance upon us. He will pour intolerable plagues upon our heads, and after he will take away from us all his aid and assistance, wherewith before he did defend us from all such manner of calamity." As the evangelical prophet Isaiah, agreeing with Christ's parable, does teach us, saying, 
that God had made a goodly vineyard for his beloved children. He hedged it. He, he walled it round about. He planted it with chosen vines. He made a turret in the midst thereof, and therein also a vine press. And when he looked that it should bring him forth good grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And after it follows that uh, now shall I show you, says God, uh, what I will do with my vineyard. I will pluck down the hedges that it may perish. I will break down the walls that it may be trodden underfoot. I will let it lie waste. It shall not be cut. It shall not be digged, but briars and thorns shall overgrow it. And I shall command the clouds that they shall no more rain upon it. By these threatenings and uh, by these threatenings, we are monished and warned that if we, which are the chosen vineyard of God, bring not forth good grapes, that is to say, good works, that may be delectable and pleasant in his sight when he looks for them, when he sends his messengers to call upon us for them, but rather bring forth wild grapes, that is to say, sour works, unsavory and unfruitful, then will he pluck away all decents and suffer grievous plagues of famine, battle, dearth, and death to light upon us. Finally, if these serve not, he will let us lie waste. He will give us over. He will turn away from us. He will uh, dig and delve no more about us. He will let us alone and suffer us to bring forth even such fruit as we will, to bring forth brambles, briars, and thorns, all naughtiness, all vice, and that so abundantly that they shall clean, overgrow grow us, choke and strangle and utterly destroy us. But they that in this world live not after God, but after their own carnal liberty, perceive not this great wrath of God towards them, that he will not dig nor delve any more about them, that he does let them alone even to themselves. But they take this for a great benefit of God to have all their own liberty. And so they live as if carnal liberty were the true liberty of the gospel. But God forbid, good people, that ever we should desire such liberty. For although God suffers sometime the wicked to have their pleasure in this world, yet the end of ungodly living is as length endless destruction. The murmuring Israelites had that they longed for. They had quails enough, yes, they, uh, till, till they were weary of them. But what was the end thereof? Their sweet meat had sour sauce, even uh, while the meat was in their mouths, the plague of God lighted upon them and suddenly they died. So if we live ungodly and God suffers us to follow our own wills, to have our own delights and pleasures and corrects us not with some plague, it is no doubt, but he is almost utterly displeased with us. And although he be long ere he strike, yet many times when he strikes such person, he strikes them at once forever. So that when he does not strike us, when he ceases to afflict us, to punish us or uh, beat us and suffer us to run headlong into all ungodliness and pleasures of this world that we delight in without punishment and adversity. It is a dreadful token that he loves us no longer, that he cares no longer for us, but has given us over to our own selves. As long as man does prune his vines, does dig at the roots and does lay fresh earth to them, he has a mind to them. He perceives some token of fruitfulness that may be recovered in them. But when he will bestow no more such cost and labor about them, then it is a sign that he thinks they will never be good. 
And the father, as long as he loves his child, he looks angrily. He corrects them when he does amiss. But when that serves not, and upon that he ceases from correction of him and suffers him to do what he lists himself, it is a sign that he intends to disinherit him and to cast him away forever. So surely nothing should pierce our heart so sore and put us in such horrible fear as when we know in our conscience that we have grievously offended God and do so continue. And that yet he strikes not, but quietly suffer us in the naughtiness that we have delight in. Then specially it is time to cry and cry again as David did. Cast me not away from your face and take not away your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, turn not away your face from me. Cast not your servant away in displeasure. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down to hell. To which lamentable prayers of him, as they do certify us, what horrible danger they be in, from whom God turns his face for the time, and as long as he so does. So should they move and stir us to cry upon God with all our heart that we may not be brought into that state which doubtless is so sorrowful, so miserable, and so dreadful as no tongue can sufficiently express nor any heart can think. For what deadly grief may a man suppose it to be under the wrath of God to be forsaken of him, to have his Holy Spirit, the author of all goodness, to be taken from him, to be brought to so vile a condition that he shall be left meet for no better purpose than to be ever condemned in hell. For not only such places of David do show that upon the turning of God's face from any persons, they shall be left bare from all goodness and far from hope of remedy, but also the place rehearsed last before of Isaiah does mean the same, which shows that God at length does so forsake his unfruitful vineyard, that he will not only suffer it to bring forth weeds, briars, and thorns, but also further to punish the unfruitfulness of it. He says he will not cut it, he will not delve it, and he will command the clouds that they shall not rain upon it, whereby is signified the teaching of his holy word, which St. Paul, after a like manner, uh, expressed by planting and watering, meaning that he will take that away from them so that they shall be no longer of his kingdom. They shall be no longer governed by his Holy Spirit. They shall be put from the grace and benefits that they had and ever might have enjoyed through Christ. They shall be deprived of the heavenly light and life which they had in Christ. While they abode in him, they shall be as they were once as men without God in this world, or rather in worse taking. And to be sure, they shall be given into the power of the devil, which bears the rule in all them that be cast away from God, as he did in Saul and Judas. And generally, in all such as work after their own wills, the children of mistrust and unbelief, let us beware, therefore, good Christian people, lest that we rejecting or casting away God's word by the which we obtain and retain true faith in God be not at length cast off so far that we become as the children of unbelief, which be of two sorts, far diverse, yes, almost clean contrary, and yet both be very far from returning to God. The one sort only weighing their sinful and detestable living with the right judgment and straightness of God's righteousness be so without counsel and be so comfortless as they all must need be from whom the spirit of counsel and comfort is gone and they will not be persuaded in their hearts 
but that either God cannot or else that he will not take them again to his favor and mercy. The other, hearing and loving and uh, large promises of God's mercy and so not conceiving a right faith thereof, make those promises larger than ever God did, trusting that although they continue in their sinful and detestable living, never so long, yet that God at the end of their life will show him mercy upon them and that uh, then they will return. And both these two sorts of men be in a damnable state. And yet, nevertheless, God uh, willeth not the death of the wicked has showed means whereby both the same, if they take heed in season, uh, may escape. Against desperation. The first, as they do dread God's rightful justice in punishing sinners, whereby they should be dismayed and should despair indeed as touching any hope that may be in themselves, so if they should constantly or steadfastly believe that God's mercy is the remedy appointed against such despair and distrust, not only for them, but generally for all that be sorry and truly repentant and will therewithal stick to God's mercy, they may be sure they shall obtain mercy and enter into the port of haven or of safeguard into the which whosoever does come, be they before time, never so wicked, they shall be out of danger of everlasting damnation. As God by Ezekiel says, what time soever a sinner does return and take earnest and true repentance, I will forget all his wickedness. Against presumption. The other, as they be ready to believe God's promises, so they should be as ready to believe the threatenings of God. As well, they should believe the law as the gospel. As well that there is a hell and everlasting fire as that there is a heaven and everlasting joy. As well, they should believe damnation to be threatened to the wicked and evildoers as salutation to be promised to the faithful in word and works. As well, they should believe God to be true in the one as in the other. And the sinners that continue in their wicked living ought to think that the promises of God's mercy and the gospel pertain not unto them being in that state, but only the law. In those scriptures which contain the wrath and indignation of God and his threatenings, which should certify them that as they do over boldly presume of God's mercy and live dissolutely. So does God still more and more withdraw his mercy from them. And he is so provoked thereby to wrath at length that he destroys such presumers many times suddenly. For of such St. Paul said thus, when they shall say it is peace, there is no danger. Then shall sudden destruction come upon them. Let us beware, therefore, of such naughty boldness to sin. For God, which has promised his mercy to them that be truly repentant, although it be at the latter end, has not promised to the presumptuous sinner either that he shall have long life or that he shall have true repentance at the last end. But for that purpose hath he made every man's death uncertain, that he should not put his hope in the end and in the mean season to God's high displeasure live ungodly. Wherefore, let us follow the counsel of the wise man. Let us make no tarrying to turn unto the Lord. Let us not put off from day to day, for suddenly shall his wrath come, and in time of vengeance he will destroy the wicked. Let us therefore turn betimes, and when we turn, let us pray to God, as Hosea teaches, saying, Forgive all our sins, receive us graciously. 
And if we turn to him with a humble and very penitent heart, he will receive us to his favor and grace for his holy name's sake, for his promise's sake, for his truth and mercy's sake, promise to all faithful believers in Jesus Christ, his only natural son, to whom the only Savior of the world with the Father and the Holy Ghost be all honor, glory, power, world without end. Amen.